I am Evelyn Wamboi and this is the Human Interest Podcast. I am so happy and humbled to welcome you to this special series that will feature unsung heroes who have long been on the front lines, either in their own communities or in faraway lands, in some of the most difficult terrains ravaged by either war or food insecurity. Women humanitarians. Women usually make up a large number of those who risk their own lives to save others. They are often the first to respond and the last to leave. And we are celebrating these women in this year's World Humanitarian Day that is usually marked on the 19th of August. But here on this podcast, we will be celebrating them all month long. We will hear their stories of resilience, connections, those I will never forget experiences, typical days in the field, you know, how they look like and how they cope, as well as lessons learned while working on the front lines. To start us off is Leslie Ross Van Tonigan, who has over 20 years of experience in the humanitarian field and who has since worked in eight different organizations. Leslie's role in today's podcast is advisory. She will be using her 20 years experience to talk to those who are currently in the space or those who want to take up the challenge about what it's like to be a woman humanitarian. That and of course one I will never forget experience from her. So in 1998, I was working for WFP as a food monitor. So we were doing food distributions in Barra Gazelle in the, during the famine that followed Carabina's breakout from, um, from WOW. And um, so there's whole swaths of, of Barra Gazelle that were inaccessible for long periods of time. And you had lots of populations on the move. So I was part of the team, the first team that went into um, Egypt which was a small town um, in, in Bar Ghazal um, that hadn't had any food distributions or any support for, for months. And there had been a lot of displacement coming into the area, um, displacement from rural areas in areas coming from areas that Carabino's troops had attacked, um, but there were also displaced people coming out of Wow as well. So anyhow, um, we were involved in the food distributions, so that, you know, kind of involved managing the airdrops, then setting up the, agreeing on the lists of who would get, get food, how it would be divvied up, um, and, um, and then doing the distributions. Two incidents, parts of that really stand out, even to this day, over 20 years later. Um, and one of them is, I mean, there are masses of people in, Everybody, everybody's hungry and starving, and they are arriving sick, starved, weak. Um, and so, at one point in time, we had this old, old gentleman, you know, that he was not doing very well. So, you, what do you do with him? Which my colleague is just, you know, make him comfortable under a tree. There's, there's nothing you can do. Um, the second was um, we were doing a distribution of high energy biscuits. And this child was there and had collapsed. And it was the most amazing thing. This, this older woman, without asking, just, you know, went, opened a box, took out some biscuits, took some water, took it into a, a calabash, added the water and the biscuits in the calabash, and then just very gently started to, to feed this child um, to try to resuscitate him. 
Um, I think he'd passed out from dehydration and hunger, um, but in 10 minutes or so, you could see this child slowly coming around. He's about 10 years old at the time. He's a boy. Um, and you know, afterwards, the woman didn't know him. It was just kind of, that's what you, that's what you did. This, I was there for two weeks. It's the hardest two weeks of my entire career. I have great admiration for people who can do that and continue to do that. Those are very, very tough, very, very tough situations. And you can understand how, you know, war photographers talk about the same thing, that they, they distance themselves. They use that camera as a barrier between them and what they're what they're witnessing, and I think that's kind of when you, when you are in the midst of a, of a significant crisis like that, you need to find ways to ways to cope. How how different is it usually for a woman humanitarian being in such contexts? Um, this is twenty years ago, so um, there was a few of us, um, few women, um, but they're mostly men. So you kind of. You learn how to laugh at the bad jokes and to disregard the sexist jokes and to kind of laugh off the um, the advances that inevitably get made. Um, but also, you get to. It's very interesting. You know, you kind of go into place. Are you married? Um, no, I'm not married. Do you have any children? No, I don't have any children. Um, and it's kind of then you realize that that. Particularly in some cultures, your status as an individual, as a woman, is tied up in having been married and having had children. Um, and looking around one point in time and realizing that as an unmarried woman in her early 30s with no children, I had less status than the 15-year-old who was married with a child. Um, so there's kind of these these things. And, and, um, and it's changed a lot. And I think a lot more young women go into it. Um, but not as much. Uh, no, whether there definitely weren't as many, and and um, it wasn't the most gender sensitive <laughs> humanitarian work. Is not the most has not been the most gender sensitive. It's it's made huge improvements, and I think that's because more women get into doing emergency response crisis work, and they bring with them this perspective around around women having been a woman. Um, but the other part of it is that women are more likely to talk to you as a woman. I mean, I can ask questions that men would never ask or wouldn't be allowed to ask. You can ask about childbirth. You can ask about menstruation. You can ask about, you know, um, they're in some ways very, their private life. Um, and once you kind of get over the of being different, you're being an outsider, um, and kind of ask questions that are open-ended questions and encouraging women to talk. Um, it it is uh, it's really quite I think quite interesting, and, and you get a whole new perspective. But at the same time, I had male colleagues who still remember I had a male colleague. We had supported a project with women, and we had given them aubergine and and and. Um, aubergine and eggplant crochets and they didn't know what to do with them so this this man um one of my male colleagues um from south sudan taught the woman how to women how to cook crochets and aubergines what they could do what they could do with them how they could cook them which i thought was a really 
for a South Sudanese man to to be willing to teach women and very openly teach them, um, I thought was was quite interesting. So in that way, it's kind of it's both. It's it's men being open to having women and women being open to having men and not always being strictly guided by our gender rules. He wouldn't have thought of saying we need to have a woman come in and teach the women to cook cook these. He just picked it up. That's what he needed to do, and he did it. It was wonderful. As someone who's been in this space for such a long time, what would be your advice to young, up-and-coming female humanitarian workers? You need to develop a thick skin, and that's for both men and women. These are high-stress situations, um, particularly if you're coming or you're working and you're working with national colleagues, different cultures. So you, first of all, you need to be sensitive and aware of and understand cultures that you're going into. Um, and if you don't understand, at least be open and asking questions. Um, and the second is you need to have a thick skin. Um, uh, don't be a snowflake, um, <laughs> for, want of a, for want of a better way of putting it. Um, we've all got a job to do, and part of getting our job done, yes, is to work with you and to be professional. But professional also means that you're going to get feedback and criticism that you may not necessarily like or may not have heard before. Um, but take it and it's a positive. I mean, if it's being done to denigrate you, that's not being a snowflake. That's standing up for yourself. Um, at the same time, recognizing that um, you have experience and you have credentials, they should be respected by your colleagues. Um, and the same as you should be respecting your colleagues' experience and credentials as well. Um, I think the other challenge as well is um, it's kind of being prepared, things that you wouldn't necessarily, I mean, pack lots of tampons. Um, <laughs> you forget about it, but yeah, it's pretty important when you're going out to the, when you're going out to the field, and particularly if you're going out to the field places where they don't have them, it's really not good. Um, um, don't be afraid to dry your underwear outside. <laughs> don't take frilly underwear. I'm, be, I'm laughing, but it's also, you know, you're you're going into places, you're going to be going into situations that, as I said, they're high stress. Um, people will want you to get things done. Um, they're not going to have big, long discussions. They want things done. And in an emergency, particularly at the start of a crisis, that is where you kind of need to, to move things forward. Um, get a thick, grab a thick skin. Um, you need to be, if you're thin-skinned, it's going to be very difficult because um, you'll find it difficult and your colleagues will find it difficult. So it doesn't mean accepting bad behavior. That's not what I'm saying. It's just kind of being aware of when and where you can 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 raise it up um, when it's most appropriate to raise it up, um, and then being willing to to action it and take consequences. I was working for an organization, and head of the organization came out to the field. He was abusive. He was unprofessional. He was rude to the point where I finally said, "In the middle of the field in South Sudan, you know, I quit." I'm not doing this. I don't need. I don't need to take this, um, and and so I think that's also no being very clear on on what your lines are and what your 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 principles are and and what you will and won't take, um, and and kind of and it wasn't like this was the first time he had been. I mean, he had been rude for quite a while, um, and so packed up my stuff and walked down the airstrip and went to stay with another NGO for a week until the plane came because as soon as I quit the rain, it started to rain and no planes could land. <laughs> so I had to stay in the same town. Um, but, um, and kind of, 
be sure of yourself in, in that way. Um, also, you need to be humble. You're going to work with individuals and colleagues who may not have your degree, but they may have a lot more experience. Learn from them. Ask them questions. You know, absorb as much as you can. Um, and because that allows you to grow professionally, it allows you to grow as a person. You're, I mean, learning and, ex and expanding. Um, so I think that's quite important. Um, For someone who also has family to juggle, so this is someone who's going to the field probably as a wife, as a mother, how should they be able to sort of balance both? I think the first thing we need to accept as women is that whoever told us we can have it all lied. <laughs> And they lied badly. Yeah. <laughs> um, because our male colleagues make the same choices. They don't have the same ex social expectations as far as childcare and, and that that women have. But they, but they are making the same choices. They're going for extended periods of time without seeing their spouses or their families. Um, and, so they're, and that's acceptable. So for women, um, we need to kind of understand that there are there are going to be drawbacks. There are going to be um, choices that you have to make. Get a, get a good nanny. Get a good ayah, housekeeper. Pay her well. Treat her like gold. Um, because if you are traveling, that person becomes that linchpin. So I slapped. I'm a single mother. You know, I hired a wife. Um, and that wife is still with me 19 years later um, and, and has been a real constant in my child's life. Um, and so there's, if you have a spouse, that spouse acts as a constant, but, but so does the ayah, so does their housekeeper. Um, treat them well. They're worth it. Um, I think the other part is um, balancing that off. If you can do four weeks, but not four weeks all the time. Um, and in that sense, it's kind of making sure that your child has that stability. I had my housekeeper. You'll have a spouse. But be really clear with yourself from the outset. What are the... What are the non-negotiables? Um, if you're not willing to travel, then you need to find a headquarters job. You need to find something else that allows you to support um, humanitarian response um, without having to leave your child. But you, you, you have to be really clear with yourself in applying for jobs and recognizing what they entail. Your typical, typical day of a humanitarian work. Oh, my typical day. Okay, I'll do... Uh, huh. um, on the one hand, this was... The days were really tough, and the work was tough, and not just wasn't physically tough, but mentally, mentally tough. At the same time, you were out in this absolutely amazing place um, with people who are incredibly hospitable um, and and willing to be very open with you, and 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 kind of do things in ways that that you had read about but never witnessed. We had a community meeting and the whole community came and sat under the trees and the paramount chief and the sub-chiefs kind of agreeing how the food was going to be distributed in a, very, in a very public space. And you could see the paramount chief sitting there, very confident. He wasn't all, there was no problem with being questioned or challenged because there wasn't an agreement. So the kind of, then they decided the displaced man who had been in all these areas would be the one to divvy it up because they do the proportional piling to divvy it up amongst the groups. Um, and it took him a good hour, you know, doing it. And then he one being here. No, no, no. And so, I mean, he took his job seriously. And it's 100, 150 people watching what this guy is doing. So you're really seeing 
public accountability, public leadership um, taking place in ways that we had never seen before, which was quite amazing. Maybe finally, what, how was your day? Like, what did you do to sort of detox or just breathe? Books, music, um, just chatting with people. Um, yeah, once again, somebody usually had something to drink, you know, some kind of drink. I remember having gin and having no tonic water, so we decided to try and take lemons from the lemon tree to make lemonade. Ooh, that was bad. <laughs> that was bad. But to tell you how desperate we were, we drank it anyway. <laughs> it was wasted none of that gin. Yeah, um, yeah it was kind of uh, different strokes, different folks. I mean, now I do it, would do it differently. I have different hobbies and different interests. Yeah. Um, but once again, you're... Because there's no real light um you you end up going to bed and earlier um and getting up earlier the only thing you had to watch out for were snakes and scorpions i don't like snakes yeah. <laughs> and scorpions you just need to make sure that you take your flip-flops and kill them really well yeah. <laughs> don't step on them um okay. but yeah thank you so much you're very welcome awesome Thank you so much for joining us here on the Human Interest Podcast with me, Evelyn Omboy. Remember to tell a friend to listen to today's episode and keep it here during the month of August for the Women Humanitarians series. The Human Interest Podcast is available on all your favorite apps. So subscribe, like, comment, share and spread the love. See you next week.